0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. Have you ever had the desire to write a book? Maybe just for yourself or maybe to share it with the world? My guest today is a professional book coach who breaks down the entire process of getting started right here. On this episode, and you might be shocked to discover it's not as hard as you think it is. Stick around for that, and we will, of course, talk long term travel. And since it's location independence month, we're gonna get into what it's like to leave a long career and enter into the digital nomad lifestyle after being settled for so long and a ton more. We're also gonna share some book recommendations for you. And I wanna answer this question today How can we merge the wisdom we acquire during our travels? with the present moment each and every day. I'll try to answer that question. Stick around for that. A community shout out and loads more. It's all happening next, today, right now. So buckle up, my friends. Thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast.
1: You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore.
0: Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for being here, hanging out with me, letting me bring a little travel into your ears. Today, this is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Got a packed show for you, as you heard at the top. And I'm getting ready for a trip, actually, leaving tomorrow for Mallorca, Spain. I'm going to meet up with my buddy Travis and his family there, traveling solo for the first time with my two-year-old daughter. I haven't taken her on a plane by myself yet. So I guess I don't mean traveling solo, but I'm taking her by myself. And of course, I'm a a responsible adult. Everything's going to be fine. It's going to be just fine. I'm telling you, it's going to be fine. But tell her it's going to be just fine. I don't know, because we're leaving right around the time she goes to bed. So I'll have to report back to you and and let you know how that flight went. Luckily, our flight back is at a much more reasonable time. But it's going to be a great time. And I'm so excited because we're going down there to celebrate the launch of the Paradise Pack, which is coming on May 29th. And I wanted to invite you to a special event for that, by the way. Each and every year, we do a live stream online. It's a big party. And we bring on 12 experts from the Paradise Pack who just share their story and share tips and advice around location-independent lifestyle, the whole business side of it, the travel side of it, everything to do with working and traveling and traveling long term. And it's totally free. And you could just come and show up. Hang out with us. It's six and a half hours long. We bring the energy. It's a, just a crazy time. And we have a blast. And everybody's there in the chat box chatting with each other and meeting people from around the world. It's so fun. So I don't know when you're listening to this, but that's going to be May 29th, 2018. If you go to 0 to slash paradise, that'll take you to the Paradise Pack page. You can sign up over there so you don't forget about this event. And it's going to be from 8.30am to... Yeah, 3 p.m. Eastern. That is the time for that on May 29th, 2018. So, zero to slash paradise. Sign up over there. I'd love to see you on the live stream event. If you missed that one and you're listening afterwards, no worries. We got a bunch of other great stuff going on. The week of the Paradise Pack, which is May 29th through June 4th. And just quickly, as a reminder, the Paradise Pack is the ultimate educational bundle to help you live, work, and travel anywhere in the world. So it takes a certain core set of skills to actually be able to pull off that lifestyle. If you've ever tried becoming location independent or starting some kind of thing where you can earn money while you travel, it can be confusing, it can be hard, it can be... Time consuming. It can be expensive to figure it all out. And we decided to put something together and discounted it at over 90% off. So you get everything you need, all the tools you need, all the skills you need to make it a reality, to make it actually happen. So you can go to that link if you'd like. Hit pause now if you keep forgetting to do it. And we'd love to see you on the live stream if you can make it, because it's always cool to meet on those types of events. And again, we're doing a bunch of other stuff too. So check that out. And we're going to be doing that from Majorca, And I'm Praying to the internet gods, please give us a good Wi-Fi connection. You know, they say they have Wi-Fi at this place we're staying, but you guys know how it is. You get to a place and yeah, sometimes the Wi-Fi is a little dodgy, and we're gonna be streaming, so I, I hope that works out. And I'm just excited to get down to Spain. I haven't been to Spain since I took my first backpacking trip through Europe many years ago, and I've never been to any of these Spanish islands, so there are probably going to be massive amounts of paella and other spanish foods going into my pie hole <laughs> over the next week. That's what's happening here. What are you up to, my friend? Where are you at today? How are you doing today? I uh, so appreciate you being a part of this caravan, this zero to travel listening community. By the way, if you have any any questions or you have any guest recommendations or anything like that, just hit me up. It's Jason at zero to travel.com. I'm on Twitter at zero to travel as well. Hit me up anytime, my friend. would love to hear from you. love to hear from listeners. And I have a shout out to one of you coming up at the end of the show. And I'm also going to share some book recommendations after the interview, as well as answer that question at the top of the show. How can we merge the wisdom we acquire during our travels with the present moment each and every day? That's a tricky thing. And this question came up from a book I'm reading right now that I'd like to share with you as well that I'm really enjoying. So stick around for all that at the end of the show. But I want to get into this interview in just a moment. And I thought this was an important topic because so many people want to write a book. And maybe that's you. And maybe you've written a book. If so, congratulations. Even if you have, there are a lot of tips in this episode that can help you start writing again or build a better writing habit. It's not an easy thing. But at the same time it is and you'll see what i mean after you listen to this interview how this is totally doable even if you're working a full-time job even if you've got a lot of, a lot of other responsibilities and i was so pumped to talk to my guest because i'm in this process right now i'm doing some writing want to do more and i don't consider myself a writer and if that's you also guess what you can write a book too you don't need to be a writer just by sitting down and writing then you're a writer and this is really an empowering message, I think. It's not just the empowerment. It's also the actual tactics and skills. So I, I know you're going to dig this interview. And of course, like I said, we're going to be talking about travel and long-term travel and a whole bunch of other stuff. And one last thing before we get into it, I want to thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. I'm packing my Tortuga tomorrow for this trip to Majorca, And you can get 10% off any of the Tortuga Backpacks if you go to zerototravel.com slash tortuga and use the promo code travel when you check out just the word travel just enter that and then you get 10 percent off anything you order i use the tortuga day pack i use the outbreaker and those are the two main packs i use and i've also just started using the home base a bit and you'll see all of my recommendations as well some other accessories on that page zero to travel.com slash tortuga promo code travel and when you check out If you do purchase anything, you'll be supporting this show. And I thank you very much for that. And thank you to them for extending that discount to you. This is the best carry-on backpack you can find. So you don't need to waste time on the internet looking all around for the perfect backpack to take with you on any length trip. Just go to that link. Check out what they have. Awesome stuff. I look forward to packing it up and getting on a plane tomorrow (laughs) it always gets me excited to take out the tortuga because i know i'm going somewhere and checking out someplace new and we love to do that as travelers you know that rush you get before you go and you just got that pre-trip feeling i've been pretty chill about this one but as i'm talking to you right now i'm starting to get that vibe oh yeah yeah i'm gonna you know land somewhere new new food new people new culture totally new place always gives me an adrenaline rush can't wait for that okay let's get into the interview now enjoy listening in on our chat and i will catch up with you on the other side thanks My guest today has become a good friend since we met in Portugal last year. He's a book coach who helps new and experienced authors alike find a vision for their book, then take the actionable steps to make it a reality. He's helped me a ton, and I know he's going to do the same for you today. He's also a digital nomad who's been living around the world for quite some time. We're going to talk about that and much more. You can find his work at Coach CoachAzul, CoachAzul.com. Azul Torones, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend.
1: Jason, thank you for having me. I'm stoked to be here.
0: Man, I am so excited to have you here. And we've had many Skype calls actually over the last year since we met in Portugal, where you're flying off to today. You just told me, correct?
1: Yeah, correct. I'm headed out today.
0: Where are you going?
1: Well, we're we're flying to Lisbon, but we're staying in a little sort of village about three hours south called Aljezur, which is like a small coastal village so yeah
0: a small coastal village that sounds so terrible so sorry for you (laughs) (laughs) you'll get through it somehow of course you probably have to make sure they have decent wi-fi right
1: yeah Uh, that'll be the challenge otherwise doing everything from my phone will be really rough but i'm sure i'll find (laughs) wi-fi
0: you gotta have faith uh where did you grow up
1: i grew up in santa cruz california actually on another beach town um yeah, until I was about 18 or 19 when I left for college.
0: I guess you have the beach built in you. I mean, I guess is that something... You didn't want to leave the beach to go to the mountains. It sounds like you're still doing the beach thing.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I lived in Austin, Texas. That's sort of my home base. It, it's the farthest away from a beach you can possibly get, probably. Landlocked is not my favorite spot. But um, yeah, the ocean is pretty cool.
0: Santa Cruz is kind of like a hippie town, right? It's, it's known <laughs> yeah. for that. Did you... Were your parents hippies, or how did you land in Santa Cruz?
1: No, well, yes, yes, and no. I mean, I was born in the '60s, so I'm, I have a little bit of the hippie in me. Uh, Santa Cruz is very like laid back. It's like very what liberal is now was Santa Cruz thirty years ago, forty years ago. Um, so. We we there because we were there because my family's a farm workers actually in Santa Cruz the, the the area was actually a large place for growing all sorts of crops and my parents parents great my grandparents met in the fields of, from Spanish descent my grandmother's family from Spain and my grandfather the Philippines. Uh, they met there, and then my other grandfather and in much also farm workers, so they kind of met there, and then they settled there in Santa Cruz, which is a pretty cool place to be. Um, before, it was like a big, booming town. It was like a sleepy town where people just kind of ended up.
0: So you're a mix of Spanish and Filipino?
1: And Mexican, yeah.
0: And Mexican. Okay, so how does that play into your, I don't want to say your identity, but your desire to travel and see the world, was that something that you thought about when you were younger? Like, hey, the, you know, the world's a bigger place. I, I know I have a background that's from different countries that I live in. How how did that shape you growing up?
1: I guess so. I, I People assumed that I spoke Spanish when I was a kid. Uh, I didn't grow up with my dad. Um, so I didn't really spend time with him, but, uh, my mom having Spanish and Filipino parents, their common e- language was English. So she really just spoke English. So I didn't have any, you know, background. People expected me to speak. You know, I, I had no idea besides I could hear it and understand it. But so i I went to university at UCLA and about a quarter in, I was like, this is kind of boring. School's kind of boring. Uh, I worked really hard to get in that school and then I was kind of disinterested. So I convinced the Spanish and Portuguese department that I I wanted to declare a major. And they had a program at the sister university, the University of Guadalajara. So I went there for a a part of the year because they thought I was going to be a Spanish major. I I was not. I I didn't declare a major until I was a junior. But uh, I went there and I started That's where my travel bug began. I went there and I started to realize I could live in another place for three months at a time. And that was really cool. Uh, You could pick up a language in that amount of time. So that was awesome. So, um, yeah, that was sort of how I started. And I have been to the Philippines and I have been to Spain. I've been to the my family's from the Basque area. So uh, that was cool being able to see those places that my family's from.
0: But as far as living abroad and being on your own, that was the first big eye-opening thing for you?
1: Right, it wasn't really something in my family like that. That we traveled back home or anything. There was no family members in those countries anymore, so it wasn't. I had that connection at all.
0: Yeah, like when you say you got the travel bug, was it full on after that? Were you yeah. pretty much, hey, I'm, um, I want to do this, or or was it more of a kind of a gradual thing?
1: No, it, actually, because I worked in uh, film and television, I kind of got. I stayed in L.A. Uh, and then I became a, a teacher, which was kind of a by ha- happenstance. So I really stopped traveling, to be honest. Um, and I had kids pretty young when I was 27. So I, I, it wasn't until my kids were close to graduating age that I actually got back on the road, which was kind of weird, long stint in between travel. But I think um, I never had any fear. I just never I never thought about bringing my kids. I probably should have. Um Though my daughter did graduate from Shanghai American School, um, graduate high school, because we took her as a senior. Uh, she moved there with us, my husband and I. So she, yeah, she um, she kind of, she has a child bug now. She's taking off. Like I said, what are you doing this summer? She's like, well, I bought my ticket to London, and I'll be traveling around, and I'll, maybe I'll see you in Portugal. I'm like, okay. <laughs>
0: You're like, here we go. You created a couple monsters now, I guess, yeah. right? This is, this is what happens.
1: <laughs> yeah. And my son lived in a hostel in... Ilabela in Brazil for three months on his own as well. Um, So, whenever we meet up, like we might be, hey, come, we'll be in Paris for Christmas or we'll meet here for, you know, break. So, they're used to it now, but it it took a while.
0: Yeah, it sounds crazy until you get used to it. Like you said, I mean, then you're kind of set, redefining what the normal is. And for you, it went from. Living somewhere. We and we've talked about this before. I know I had the experience where oh I was in college, I got out of college, but I always had sort of a home to go to if I wanted to go visit my mom or my dad. They always lived somewhere. But for you, you're you're kind of living everywhere. So was that a bit of an adjustment for them?
1: Yeah, it still is. They'll they'll start almost every conversation with where are you now? And <laughs> that's and how or, I start
0: most conversations too.
1: <laughs> right. It makes sense. Where are you now? <laughs> and where are you going? Um, but it's great because I think it helps them understand that, you know, home is where you hang your hat. I know it's a cliche, but it's definitely true. And you have to make holidays where you are. I mean, I remember going shopping in Shanghai for a Christmas tree. I was like, we got to find a Christmas tree to make this home, um, last year or two years ago. And, uh, just trying to, to keep some traditions that travel with you, even if we weren't going to bring the tree with us or anything, we're like, well, we'll just do what we would normally do. We don't. We don't have to make it a big to do, but um, you know, Thanksgiving in other countries is different. Obviously, you have you know you're you're roasting a chicken instead of a turkey and that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I think for them, time with each other is probably more important to them now. At first, it was like really hard to not have the physical home, you know, with the actual decorations that they always saw when they would come home for the holidays. I think there's some of that that's still so nostalgic that it's hard for them. But as the time passes, I think I think it'll get easier.
0: It's something I haven't thought about too much, actually, and, until we started talking just now about it. Because, yeah, when you think about nostalgia and, for example, seeing like a Christmas ornament or something from your childhood, you do get those sort of warm feelings. But then also, it's really easy if you're going back to visit your family over the holidays to a place where you had always lived, to kind of fall into similar patterns and routines, maybe even unconsciously, right? Like You almost regress in some ways. And then also, oftentimes, you have a lot of friends around in that area. And it's not just about hanging out with family. But if you're in a location like Paris or somewhere else where you don't really know anybody and you just have each other, that that adds a different dynamic that's almost giving the family space and opportunity to just be be together with each other in in a way a little more
1: yeah it's different so we even created new traditions because since we don't see each other as often um like i think it was leap year almost six years ago now we decided we'd write each other messages for leap year like what you'd hope you'd be doing what what you want them to be thinking about and then you'd write yourself messages and we would lock it up in a little teeny box um and then every four years you know we whoever has the box calls and like reads them out loud. Um, (laughs) yeah. So, so it's like, you kind of have to start building new traditions that are just as meaningful. And it just like really, really relatively as, as silly in some regards as a man in a red suit. So you just create things and try to make the moments meaningful or, you know what? We, we, we spend a lot of time on FaceTime with our kids. Um, and that's something that's great because even when they were home, sometimes we would have to like hello, I'm over here and they wouldn't, you know, pay attention because they're used to us there. But now they might call and FaceTime us or talk to us when they want to chat. And I think the connection's more important because we know we won't see each other maybe tomorrow or next even next month. So I think I think building more of a relationship. And again, my kids are adults, you know, nineteen, twenty one, so relatively adult, I would say. Um so they they call for advice, so they call to chat or call to snap pictures of them making cookies or things that are just fun, um, as opposed to every moment needing needing us as parents. Um the, the way we used to have dinner, you know, I set to get home every night and make dinner, and you know, help sew a costume for something or you know, get them from a track meet. Those kind of daily operational things are are more relegated to them now. Now it's just I get to create moments instead of. I guess the memories come from the moments, but they're, they're making their own memories now.
0: What was the experience like being in one place after having gotten the travel bug? You said you didn't really consider traveling with your kids. Was it just because, hey, this is just kind of what you do? Or, or was it that you just didn't care to at the time?
1: I think I think because you get into a routine and the people around you you start to imitate them. They take, they take a vacation. And because I was a teacher, I could take a three week vacation and they're like, wow, I wish I could do that. And I think that seems so, you know, I would go places. I would take them to Mexico or somewhere, um, or to the Bahamas, but it was definitely vacation, not, not location, independent living. And I think part of it was your, the people around you impact you more than you think. So it's just not something people did. And it was really hard for them to for anyone to talk about that kind of thing because of that. So I think that was a lot of it. And um, yeah, and becoming a teacher, I then became a principal, which took a lot of my time, um, even in the summer. So I didn't have as much free time as I'd like.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about this today because you're a book writing coach. So it would be a huge missed opportunity (laughs) if we didn't get advice, expert advice on writing a book. And the first question I have when it comes to book writing is, what is the biggest myth about book writing?
1: I think that it takes a long time. I think that's the biggest myth is that, you know, you got to spend a lot of time writing. Um, and I think that the reason that is so is because most people think of writing as everything involved in a book and it's really not. And I think after spending so many time, so much time as a teacher and even teaching university for eight years is that most people think first you got to have a really good idea and then you got to research and you got to think about it. And then, they have all these ways in which writing is supposed to happen. But really, we're trained to be editors, not writers, because we don't want to turn anything to school that's not good because we don't want to redo it. We want to get the best grade and be done. So we're trained how to make it good enough so we get our results, you know, the A or the satisfy the teacher. But we're not really writing for meaning. We're writing for, like, a grade. So we have this different way of thinking about writing. We we always edit while we write. We always, like, even when we write emails, we, we type, or we edit, we type, we edit, right? We don't just Put stuff on a page, and I think when I first met Chris Gillabo, who who's a great friend, um talking about writing, he said that you know you could write a book if you just write a thousand words a day. I mean, really, that's what makes you a writer's a daily habit. And most people don't realize you could write five hundred words in probably twenty minutes. It's just that we don't think about it. Um, we get lost in our our head, and we we think of research as writing, and that's not writing. That's research, right? Um, so the first thing is get people out of their head that it's going to take a long time to write a book. It does take effort. It might take a little bit longer than you you had hoped, but it, it doesn't take forever.
0: I had not thought too much about how we are are trained as writers or how we may be, maybe that our school experience is such that we don't believe we're writers or whatever that is. It does go back to the education that you had and I I think the feelings around that, and like you said, the goal being to turn in a paper, to get a certain grade on it. And I just had never thought of how that can carry over into your adult life and and be a limiting factor, I would say, in so many ways. Because again, subconsciously or consciously, we might be living within those constructs still.
1: I think so. I I think that's why I started doing self-publishing or indie publishing in 2006 and then 2007 was I I saw kids with very little fear if you didn't tell them that it should be afraid of writing a book you could mention we should write a book and they just would get so excited and um I made it my goal every year after that that every kid would be a published author by 13 that I taught so that 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 would be something they could just say I've done I've written a book um and there would be no more stigma about oh I'd love to write a book someday because that was my biggest thing and then they would get on me like I was how come they call me Mister T? Mister T, how come we haven't written a book? And I was like, I had no good excuse, really. Um, really had none. And it was just fear—fear fear that it wouldn't be good enough, fear that I wouldn't know what to say, fear I couldn't pick the right idea. All the fears that I help authors with now were the things that I was struggling with in a real way. And what if it's not good? Um, what if I finish and no one cares? Those are the things that keep adults from writing because that we are waiting for approval, right? So it took a while for me to shake that myself and just start writing, and you know I credit a lot of the kids for asking me questions about it um, and holding me accountable and cheering me on as they 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 watch me write during the breaks or at lunch um, or talk about it on social so. That's one of the things I appreciate about working with kids all those years. They, they inspired me to change the way I thought about writing and stop teaching it like I was taught or trained in university to teach it and start teaching it if I had my own way. Um, and my own way is like, you have something to say, you should say it.
0: The kids uh, are great for accountability, right? You can learn so much from kids. How can you <laughs> yeah. look into their precious faces and say, hey, I'm not going to do this, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, was that the big thing that carried you through some of those personal fears?
1: Yeah, like your friend might think it, but they won't say it. But they'll say like, so how come you're not writing a book? Are you just, I mean, what are you going to say? <laughs> Kids will lie? just say it. Lie to children?
0: <laughs> you cannot lie to children. That's if you're going to take one thing from this podcast. Right. Do not lie Don't to, children. Lie to the children. And they'll find <laughs> out anyways. So. Uh, do you believe everybody has a book in them? Because that's something I said in the beginning. And I, I do believe that. And it's, it's a good core belief, I think, to have because it's empowering, right? And I know... I doubt myself. Other people, I'm sure, out there doubt themselves when it comes to writing and their abilities. And there are so many different styles of books. And and you just think, again, it goes back to what you said, this whole idea of, well, somebody in society or a publishing company or somebody has to tell you you're a writer, as opposed to just kind of taking ownership of the fact that hey, I'm going to write a book and I guess that means you're an I author. Mean, I don't know how you feel about labeling yourself as an author or a writer or if that's something, if that's too intimidating to do, to steer clear of. I'm not sure what your advice is around that. Do you have any thoughts around that?
1: Well, I think the only thing that makes you a writer is that you write. You know, and that's the first thing I tell my clients. Like the first thing you do is look in the mirror and say, I'm a writer um, and then write. You know, there's the only thing that makes you a writer is that. It doesn't make good... Being good is, is a designation you can give yourself or you can wait till other people give you. But being a writer is up to you. You can choose to be a writer. You don't need permission. You don't need um, a publishing house whose job is to make money. Tell you you can be a writer. Um, and I think you know the designation of author, I think that's just reserved for somebody who has published a book, whether they do it themselves or from somebody else. But you can always be a writer the moment you choose to. And to answer your question or response to should everyone write a book, I believe that everyone has a book in them, and that everyone can be a writer. A lot of people, you know, professional writers might argue with that because there's a lot of trash out there on Amazon now. Like when blogs started, everyone had a blog, whether it was good or bad. He said, "I'm a blogger." I think that kind of happened with you know Amazon to some extent. But the truth is, I don't know. There's like four million books on Amazon. When in two thousand seven, there were like five hundred thousand. So things have shifted. You get lost if you just write a book that you don't care about, no one cares about. But if you write a book that you care about, which is the reason I think people should write a book, um, then it matters, right? So the book should be for you foremost, um, more than anyone else. Um, information is one thing. So you could have a transactional relationship with words. So I have something in my head. I want to give it to somebody else on words, so I write it on a book and hand it to them. Or you can have a transformational experience, which is I really think I have something to say, but I'm not sure exactly what. And I'm going to figure it out during this journey of writing. And you might be surprised by how much you have to say that's meaningful and everyone's lens and unique view is more important than the information in their head. And I think innately humans are designed to tell stories, designed to share uh, between each other unlike any other species, right? It's one of the things that makes us human and writing just happens to be the really coolest tool we can capture it with so that we can talk to people who who we'll never see in person. So I, I do believe everyone should write a book. I think everyone should go through the process of like distilling what they believe or think. Onto a page.
0: By the way, newsflash if some of you, if this is news to you that you can actually just publish a book on Amazon and anybody can do it, that is a thing. Maybe that's, we're, we're making an assumption here. I think that that's something that people know. It's pretty simple to do. I have a book on Amazon that I published for somebody else. You have books on Amazon, I believe, and a lot of other people I know do. And then that's like a cool thing. And we can talk about self publishing a little bit later. I want to dig into some of your process because, by the way, at CoachAzul.com, Azul has a a 30-day challenge every so often. And we're going to walk through some of that framework today. And just having calls with Azul and getting his advice and doing some of his exercises really helped me get more clarity around some of my beliefs and things that would go into some things that I'm working on right now, including book, website, and journal and various other things, which have not to come to fruition yet. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm working on it like everybody else. And what are the things people should consider right off the bat when they're looking to go into a project of writing a book, whether it be a long one or a short one, fiction or nonfiction?
1: Well, I think a lot of times people have been thinking about writing a book for a while, and they tend to have too many ideas in their head. And I think that's what... I before described to you that writer's block is really having too much to say and not too little, so people just get overwhelmed and stuck. Mm-hmm. So the first thing, it's a good way I to think about it. <laughs> yeah, because we have plenty to say. It's usually just blocked by the thoughts that are in the way of the other thoughts. So I, I I refer to the writer's block like a funnel that you know if if a book is the bottle you're pouring the liquid into the the great ideas into. Um, And you're trying to pour it through the process of writing, which is the funnel. The challenge is if anything gets in that little funnel, just the smallest thing, it could block your writing. And so most people start writing without unblocking the funnel, just assuming that the idea, which seems so free and open and liquid and fluid, like I'll just pour it into this thing and it'll work. And the problem is because they have so many other ideas in there, they just get stuck and tripped up and they just can't seem to finish a book. In fact, 81% of America says they have a book in them and they want to write. Um, and that's probably similar to a lot of other countries as well. Uh, but only 3% of those 81% actually ever finish a manuscript. Um, and a lot of it is, in my belief, is this is this idea of getting blocked, getting stuck. Um, and ev- uh, even of those you know, 3% that finish, only 30% of those 3% will actually ever publish it. So I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this blocks keep people from from writing and so i i suggest to people that you know get get a piece of paper and write down every idea you could possibly think of that you could write about um i call it a brain dump you don't want to empty your head of all the ideas in your head and and be able to see them on a page because the more you can realize oh this is why i'm having trouble writing about this one thing because there's 70 other ideas in my head um and you want to make make it clear like oh this is the one idea i care about the most right now it may not be the best idea, but like you want to find the idea you care about and a great deal, because if you don't care about it, you won't finish it.
0: How do you pick that idea?
1: This is a, a really difficult thing. I I try to let people know that it's if you choose two or three ideas from your big list that you dumped out of your head, it's the idea that makes you keep returning to it. Like you can't seem to avoid it. You keep looking at it, you keep thinking about it. It keeps. It's right now. It's not. It's not the good idea. I think people look for the good idea. What's the good idea? Well, you can do that. You could go to Amazon. You could look for the current trending ideas, and you can try to write a book about that. But if you want to write a book that you care about, that's meaningful to you, you got to look for what's right in your heart, in your mind, you know, what draws your energy to it. I would just eliminate, you know, get two or three and then decide from those two or three. So that's easier to just narrow down. Um, and don't worry about your expertise, about those kinds of things. People worry that they don't have enough expertise to say these things. And the truth is your lens or, or perspective about these things makes you that expert in that way. Um, everyone will write a book about X, but no one will write it like you. So you got to get, get confidence that your idea matters because you matter. Your unique perspective matters. And so that's what I do is help people get narrowed down to something they care about enough that they're going to finish. And then they can move forward
0: there is the reality of, of the book selling market, right? Like, h- how are you going to title it? What books are selling? Where can I marry my big idea with the potential opportunity to make sales? Because if you can't make sales and you can't get into anyone's hands anyway, and that's really fulfilling, of course, to have written a book if your ultimate mission is to, to help others in some way or to get it out there and also to make sales and maybe even make a business out of it. What is your advice to, to find that balance, especially in the early stages?
1: Well, I think there's the biggest question to ask is, what are you writing it for? Um, And that comes back to your point. If you don't know why you're writing it, then it's really hard to satisfy that that requirement. So if you're writing this book because you really want to get out your message and grow a tribe and have a unique perspective, that's probably very different than writing a book because you want to make passive income from the book. Um, You know, that has a lot to do with other people. So I, I help people figure out, well, what do you hope? If you can dream what you want this book to do for you, what would it be? And if they say, I want to make passive income online, then that's a different book. You're not writing. You're going to look for an idea that people are already searching for. And you're write writing
0: for the business that. opportunity.
1: Right. You're writing a book to capitalize on what you could do to serve other people in a business way. Um, but if you're like, no, I've really been thinking about this way of doing X. Um, I always give the, the fictitious example of somebody who... Who discovered growing indoor gardens because it helped them, um, you know, start to deal with some of their issues um, could be a really powerful book if they put themselves in it. And people are like, well, what do you mean? Indoor herb garden doesn't seem like a book would sell. Uh, yeah, that might be true if you're searching on Amazon, but if you write a book about how you cure anxiety, um, um, minimize your anxiety, I mean, minimize your your sleep deprivation and start to live a more happy, fulfilling life by growing these 10 herbs, how you can do it too, in any space, any time of the year and with very little money. That might be interesting to somebody who's like struggling with anxiety and wondering to know what they could try because they've tried everything. That could be a useful book to somebody if it really did help you, if it really did inspire you um, because your personal story through it is really powerful um, and you're you're finding a specific audience to read it. If your book is to create a thought leadership type book where you're like, I want to say something worth talking about again and again, that I want to curate a group of people to follow, to inspire them to grow a brand. That's a different reason to grow a book, right? That's a build a book. That's understanding who you are, what you stand for, what you believe. Um, that book is different. People aren't going to Google that. They're going to wait for you to tell them why it's important. And that that's a different way of looking at it. So all those things require marketing they require understanding how books launch all those things are important but you'll just think about it differently if you're gonna if you have a purpose for your book to make like for me i wanted to be able to speak on stage i wanted to be able to pivot out of teaching into something new so writing my book was for me um and it really did that um but i think that depends on people's goals
0: i imagine Being able to have a book that my daughter, who's now two, would be able to read later and understand, hey, this was my dad during this period of time. If she was the only one even to ever read it, it would be worth the effort. So as I'm working through my own why here right on the call with with Mr. Coach Azul, he's uh, (laughs) he's giving me some breakthroughs right here in real time.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think writing a book for a legacy piece is really important. To share and capture your story, your ideas, your thinking, so that the other people will know. I hope my my own children will read my book. They haven't. <laughs> you know, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I, I think about those things. I'm thinking about it being important to me. Um, so yeah, that even that matters. But it, as long as you're okay with the fact that that's why you're writing it, and then go, hey, I want to sell a million copies. Like, wait a second, wait a second. We we talked about why you're writing a book. It wasn't that you wanted to sell a million copies. Now you're shifting on me. Like that's a different kind of book. Um, you know all these wonderful writers who've made it made money on books didn't necessarily know for sure their book would be the one um whether it be Simon Sinek's Start With Why or Daniel Pink's you know a variety of his books or even Seth Godin those books they wrote because they knew they had a message in them they wanted to say over and over again
0: so i love the brain dump i love brainstorming. I love going to a cafe and getting some coffee and doing all these exercises and getting the ideas out there. It's so fun. And then you narrow it down and you pick something and then crap, you open your computer the next day and you're looking at a blank Word document or whatever you're going to use, Google Docs or whatever. And then you have to start writing. And that's scary and hard. And I want to talk to you about where people should start. And maybe this ties in with habit, because that's something I've been struggling with, developing the habit of writing. And maybe that's not where you start. I'm not sure where you start. But talk us through the next steps.
1: Right. I So remember, the funnel... And the clogging doesn't end once you get the idea out. <laughs> each chapter has its own clogs. It so never you have to ends, be careful. does it? <laughs> right. And most of the time, people put way too much in a book. They usually have two or three ideas that could be each their own books into mm-hmm. one. And so that's another thing that clogs them when they go to write later on. I used to be a fan of starting with the outline and writing. But what I realized is that people aren't even sure what they're creating when they start something like that. If they get too rigid about an outline before they think through what this could be. They they create a book that doesn't have a chance to change. So I encourage people to think of all the book's ideas as big stones or, yeah, like tablets. Where let's imagine, in school you're taught, you know get a really good outline and write against the outline and then you'll have a good book, which makes logical sense, right? But I believe people should write more with creativity and the a deeper side of their subconscious, like the part that brings their unique self into a book. And that usually requires us to think differently about a book, so I say, if you start with an outline first, sometimes that seems like pouring concrete that once you pour it, you can't change it because you have to change everything. But if you start a book like writing stones, which you can use to create a path, you can move those stones around, you can arrange the order, you could change them, you could remove three and just space them out differently. That's a lot more freeing to an author. But you have to know what these stones could potentially be. What am what am I gonna write about every day? if I know that writing takes a habit. So I I help people like first extract what's in their brain through a visual process to help like map out what could this be? What is in my, what's in my head? What's in my heart? What do I care about what I know about? And then let's arrange those pieces and start writing about those and we'll make meaning of it as we go. And then we'll realize the message is going to come to us because trying to create a message of something you haven't created yet is sort of difficult. In fact, it's sort of counterintuitive to creativity. Like it's not like um, you should necessarily not know what a painting should look like before you start but a lot of people they envision it but the envisioning part is is a part of the process it's not like done because you've envisioned it you have to go through the, the part of laying colors and setting the background and, and thinking about it so it's just in a different way of, of mapping it out that's supposed to be fun and easy and not painful um, and helping people do it each person is different so you have to really find their their groove how to help them write every day so that it doesn't feel like painful so they won't avoid it yeah, so that's part of the process. Make sure you, you get all the small pieces out of the head onto a place that you can record and know that you're achieving them but not overwhelmed by them.
0: Do you think personality type plays into that? Are there certain people that you would say, hey, you should just do an outline because this is more suited to who you are? Or is that advice across the board?
1: I Well, I tell them that don't neglect your right brain for your left brain. So... If you are a left brain person, you're really are very logical, um, you like things in order, you like one after the other, you like to know the, the roadmap before you start. I say, fine, you could do an outline before you start, but let your creative brain, which everyone has the creative side of the brain, that maybe it's farther down in their subconscious, that I tell them, let's be at the kindergarten first. The kindergarten doesn't have strict structure of rules about school, so they don't think about that. They're not. We didn't start out that way. So I let them play first, because play involves making mistakes, they're fun. Making mistakes just help you know where you're going. But if you don't have that nature of you, then you'll really get stuck and won't feel comfortable with just making mistakes and errors on page. And and then they can do an outline and then they can write. I, I don't say that everyone's the same, so I don't expect everyone to follow this process. I just expect everyone to think about their brains as having two ways of processing. And if you're not careful, you'll just write a book of information and you won't show up on the page because you didn't access some really integral parts of your unique character. And those usually sit just under the level of their consciousness. Our unique abilities, qualities, thinking doesn't sit on the surface. So we have to really think about it differently. If we're going to show or share something we're talking about that makes us different than the other guy who wrote a book about how to walk dogs and make money or whatever it is.
0: For me, podcasting is... I love this. I love getting on. We get to have a conversation. I get to chat with awesome people like you. I get to learn new things. I can ask a bunch of questions. I'm so curious. So I want to learn about everybody. And it's just natural for me. And that's my natural medium in a way. I feel like audio is something that I'm very attracted to. And I love to share. And I love to record. And I love to do all that. But I do not feel the same way about writing, even though in my heart of hearts, I want to. Because I want to produce work in that medium. So... Talk to us about getting that writing habit going.
1: Yeah. So uh, let's, let let me use an example, and then I'll talk about more about the process that I've encouraged people to try. Um, so Pat Flynn, who a lot of people who listen to podcasts know from Smart Passive Income, um, I, w- he and I were working on a book several years ago, and he's a podcaster. So he thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just speak this book. I'll organize it, and I'll just speak it. But the thing about speaking a book, which it can work for some people, they've spoken to their phone. I know Tony that.
0: Robbins did that, but he's like a freak when it comes to speaking, right? <laughs>
1: well, right. Well, I think, I think what, what that really means is somebody took his notes and ghost wrote it. I don't think that they were able to take his perfect words as a book. And it was so beautiful. No, I'm sorry. That's not how it works. Um, so because of the way we speak, isn't the way we read or, you know, consume words from a writer's perspective. So, Sometimes that can work to speak uh, speak it out, but a lot of times there's a lot of extra words that need to be removed. Uh, so that was challenging for, for Pat, is to try to speak it, um, even though it was a medium he was comfortable in. It just didn't translate the way he had hoped. Um, but what he was able to do is write blog posts. That was really actually fairly easy, easy for him. He could sit down in an hour, could totally finish a blog post. So we just broke into the book into small pieces that felt like blog posts and arranged them in the same style that he would organize his blog posting. And we just created, you know, 55 days of writing blog posts that were organized in a way that would bring about a book. Um, So I think it depends on who you are and how you process things. Um, Small chunks of information is how he wanted to process the book. So that worked out really well. Um, And everyone who writes a book, it knows that it feels like it's taking a lot longer than it should. But if you imagine that you could sit down for maybe 20 minutes uh, a day, that's what I say. If you can write for 20 minutes a day, you can write a book. Um, let's say in that 20 minutes you can write 500 words maybe that's a little bit fast because you've been practicing um but a few times that by the the number of pages you want to write most books about 50,000 words you know you can write a book in 90 days pretty easily if you wrote just 20 minutes a day like the amount of time it takes for me to to listen to to you know something funny on youtube or have a second cup of coffee i could be writing a book and finish in 90 days or you know that is pretty awesome. But people just don't realize that they could do that. So if you people want to know, or trust me, if you want to figure out whether or not you can do this, set a timer for 10 minutes and write either on the page or on a computer screen and write for 10 minutes as fast as you can. Now, don't think about what you're writing because that's thinking. We're not seeing how fast you can think. We're seeing how fast you can write. Don't, don't write notes. Just physically write words at one after the other. And when the timer goes off, Count the words, whether it's 100 words or whatever, and then times that by six. And that's the number of word count you can write in an hour. And that's the goal that you want to do. So if you can write that many words in an hour, you can times that by the number of pages or words in a book. And you can realize, oh, I can write a book in two months if I just committed to that 20-minute activity or that 10-minute activity X number of days. It's that simple, but people just make a book so big in their mind like, oh, but you know, I I don't know about all these things. And my job is to take away all those small pain points so that they don't have to worry. The worry keeps them from writing way more than the actual words on a page does.
0: Do you find that having a regular routine or a certain set time to do it every day is helpful or is that not realistic for some people, I guess? I think some people
1: are night people who like to write when everyone's asleep. I think some people are morning time. The reason I encourage morning is that once you're done, you don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, I need to write, I need to write, I need to write. It's gone, It's done. Uh, so if if you can write in the morning, very first thing, if you get up 20 minutes early and just write, then it's done for the day and you've done your words. You don't have to worry about it all day long. I should be writing. Um, it's over with. Um, I think that's why I encourage morning writing. Um, and I also encourage people to do really small blocks of time. Um break it up into those small 20-25 minute segments, even if they're going to write for an hour and then come back to it so that it always feels manageable. You can always fight 20 minutes. People waste people waste hours on Facebook and, or Snapchat or Instagram and they could be writing books um, with that time. There's a lot of fear about producing a book that it won't be good enough, even for people who are really good at writing. Because I wasn't. I, I mean, I'm dyslexic. It was really difficult. School was really hard for me. I struggled. Um, I I told people recently, I failed out of freshman English in college. Like I had to go take it at a community college. Writing isn't easy for me. And then I became an English teacher, which is sort of ironic. Um, but I don't want to think people that it, it's easy for everyone. Um, people that get degrees in English, even creative writing, are a lot a big group of people who actually never write and publish anything. So to think that oh, if I were good at it, I would just it'd be easy. It's not true. There's the fear of being judged and hold, held accountable. They fear that peers who are better writers than them will judge them, right? They Everyone has this feeling. And so the goal is to get over that and realize in school you're trained, you have to write by yourself. Once you write an ugly, nasty draft, which I make sure people know that, that like first draft should be ugly. You have help. You have editors. You have, you know, development editors, line editors, proofreaders to make it better. You don't books don't get great on their own. Like none of the books that are out there in the world were written by the author and they just hit send and off it went. There's a whole team behind making it great.
0: I want people to come out of this podcast and be fired up and be ready to start putting pen to paper or at least doing that first brain dump. So I don't want people to get too overwhelmed with the rest of the process. and think it's a bad idea. I think just focusing on getting the book going just so we can have the, the big picture view from the plane 30,000 feet up. What, uh, what is the, what does the rest of the process look like for you from the brain dump to completion and publication?
1: Yeah. So if you make it simple, like, Oh, if I wrote every day for, for 60 days, I could be done with the book. Think of it that easy. Um, that's because that really is it. If I could, if I could find an hour a day for sixty days, I could write a book, um, and it's as simple as sitting down in a cafe or your favorite spot in your house. After that, the great thing is, you, you're not alone. So, you know, the, the next thing is, you have to do your own read through. Say, does this make any sense? Does this, does this communicate my message? Is this what I really wanted to say? Um, and then you get help of, of an editor. And the reason I mentioned several types of editors is I want people to understand that it's a team sport and you get help from people who are who are, were really good at English class who do know how to keep your voice consistent uh, because maybe when you wrote in the beginning you started to evolve you actually got better at writing because when was the last time you wrote the 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 equal of 10 term papers, right? So we haven't done writing on a consistent basis. So you'll get better over time. So you need someone to capture some of your best writing and help it get better. So editors can be found really simply through a lot of simple sites like Upwork or sites like Readsy, which are dedicated sites for authors who are looking for professionals. Um, so you can find those people and you can submit a manuscript and they can read it and give you some feedback and and you can decide if they're a good fit. So it's easy to find these people. Um, I just didn't realize that I needed them, to be honest, and and how much they would help me get better. So it's like Olympic athletes have coaches, um, and they have trainers, and they have all these pieces that make them great. Um, The guy that's just running around the track by himself, he has a disadvantage because he doesn't have all the people helping him. So you want to take advantage of the people that are willing to help you make your story great. Fiction and nonfiction both need an editor to help them carry them across the finish line. I I tend to help more nonfiction because people come to me to want their book to be something bigger than a book on a shelf. So that just tends to be who I work with the most. But I have helped fiction authors, memoir writers. Um, It's a similar process, finding the right fit of someone to help you. And then you got to get it formatted in a cover design and then it's ready to go to to Amazon. It's that simple.
0: And you're a proponent of self-publishing at this point?
1: I am. And I think a lot of it is because you have as many tools as the publisher does, um, even access to distribution that we didn't before 20 years ago. Amazon is a search engine and people can find your book. If it looks, if it's professionally designed and edited and the interiors laid out, your book will look just as good as anybody else's book. Who's cute with a huge company. Um, but if you don't do it well, it'll stand out as, you know, it's like the person who designed their own logo who has no artistic ability. You could tell, right? Um, you want to use the quality to make your book seem as, as qualified as any other book and not let it be disqualified because it looks like you did it with Microsoft Word as opposed to a professional-looking cover.
0: Yeah, the first Kindle book i published where i hired somebody on fiverr i think to help me do the kindle formatting because that's actually a complicated thing to do and the guy did it for 15 bucks or something so there are costs involved but it depends on how deep you want to go you could hire an editor that works at the new yorker probably for a lot of money <laughs> or uh you could work with some other people that can do a good job as well um, yeah I agree what are some of your f- sort of final words of wisdom around this topic because then i want to talk to you a little bit more about The nomad life, because I want to hear what you're up to.
1: My my final word is do it. Make the decision and then commit to it. Hold yourself accountable by telling people I'm writing a book and here's when I'm going to be done. Um, That's the biggest thing that happened to me is I wrote the book because I had told Pat Flynn that I was coming to one of his business breakthrough days and you needed a business to go there. And I didn't realize that before I signed up for this thing. It's a hot seat. And I didn't have a business. I didn't have anything. I was a school teacher. And so I had the idea that I'd be writing a book. So I just, I had 30 days until that event. So I wrote the book and having the accountability and the deadline is what got me to write it. And that's how I wrote it in 30 days. Cause I was like, I have no choice. And actually I was glad because it went, it went faster than I thought I could. And that's why I started realizing. And that's where people started asking me, well, how in the heck did you do that? And I'm like, well, I just reverse engineered the number of pages I needed to write each day. And I wrote it. And so I'd say pick a day make it public and then do it and get support so you know that you can cross the finish line.
0: Amen. I have said that many times in the podcast when it comes to travel too. You got to pick a date and hold, and make it public and get accountability. But that, uh, that style of accountability works fantastically and is also scary as hell. Because when <laughs> yeah. you have that That level of accountability where you're going to a thing or say you want to play a a show and you book a gig, you know, even if it's at a cafe and and you're going to go play, you know, three songs on the guitar or whatever, you know, now you have that gig, you have to go, you have to do it and you have to make it happen and... It's, it's petrifying. It's actually the worst, but the best, right? <laughs> right. And,
1: and take the pressure off of the first book being a Steinbeck or whatever. You're like, just write the book. Like if you want to be a writer, then the next thing to do is write the next book. Like that's just how it goes.
0: Write the FN book, right? That's what write we're saying. Write the FN book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, when did you decide to start traveling full time? When did you decide
1: to do it? Well, I had put it in my mind that if I were going to make a living online and be an author, that would be a really cool thing. Um, That was the first thing, like, wondering, my intention, yeah, wondering about this. And then things started to come my way as I started to put that in the world, right? Um, I got an offer to coach a school in Shanghai. I'd coach schools in different places, India, Spain, Canada, Australia, but I either did them virtually or I would fly there, spend a week and come home or they would come visit where I was working. But the school asked me, would I come for two years on a contract and coach the teachers you know, full-time? And I thought, well, we wanted to live international. They're gonna pay my way, fly my family there, pay for my housing, pay for my flights home every year. That sounds like a good way to start. Uh, And then once I got to Shanghai, I was able to travel a lot, like, you know, I was going to Bangkok and flying to, to the Philippines and going to Thailand and different parts. And so it made it really easy to begin just buying tickets. Um, and now it's easy to just go, oh, you know what? We should go here. Okay. Buy a ticket and off we go. And like yesterday I was realizing, oh, I need to get from where I'm going in Lisbon to Al Jazeera. Should I rent a car? I I put it, you know, then I said, no, I don't need to rent a car. Find a bus. You know, I'm leaving in twenty four hours and still trying to decide these details. I don't have a fears like I used to. <laughs> no. It's so. so
0: funny. The longer you travel, the the sloppier you get, you could say in some way, I do that kind of thing all the time. <laughs> but just like, hey, I don't you know, I'll figure it out when I get there or, or a yeah, couple it'll days before out. it will work out. Uh you get that experience. And when when was that contract? What year? Um, uh,
1: 2015 is when I got that contract. And 2000, so two thousand sixteen to two thousand it actually just ended last June. So to 2017, 2015, 2017.
0: Did you have to give up a house and certain things? I did. What, what was that like?
1: So uh, we decided, my husband and I, that look, we wanna live a lifestyle that's international, at least part of the year, we're not gonna stay in Shanghai. So rather than put everything in storage, we sold everything. We had a three bedroom, two bath house and that we were renting okay. for like four years in San Diego in a great neighborhood. It, for everyone else, it's like ideal. Gosh, why would you give up that? But we wanted to see the world, so we sold everything before, before Shanghai. Before Shanghai, okay. So we left with two suitcases. We kept a few things like yearbooks. We kept things like that at our um, a little closet in my mom's house and the kids' baby pictures. But everything else we sold you know, everything you have blenders or gave it away. So we actually don't own anything much anymore, but we just decided to do the two suitcase challenge, um, leave Shanghai, go to Shanghai with two suitcases and return with two suitcases. It's really tempting to buy stuff, have stuff made when you're abroad because it's so cheap and so unique. Um, but yeah, we, we still live with that two suitcase challenge wherever we go.
0: You like challenges, the two suitcase challenge, the 30 day challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's, yeah, I do. I like them.
0: I like the idea of having that as a challenge as well. And I guess with the contract coming up, that was another must-hit deadline, right? You were flying to Shanghai and basically you had to get rid of all of these things, or that's what you had decided to do. Was it a difficult process at times, uh, detaching?
1: Yeah. I think I think that was the hardest part is letting go of things that we brought with us over the years. Like I had letters from like when I was 12 years old that I kept from friends because we didn't have social media or email we wrote each other you know so I had letters from friends that we had wrote back and forth and I think I kept them because I I'd, I'd afraid I'd lose those memories um, and then I, I went through we had a bonfire one night and we read through letters and laughed and cried and took photos of some and kept a few and then the rest we just let go um, so that was hard because we realized that why, why did we keep all these things and then realized how important they were and that they were memories and that's what we were doing, going to create new memories. We didn't have just old memories. We had new ones to come. So that was a difficult process. And then realizing, wow, I don't have a home. I don't have a couch. I don't have that blender or that waffle maker or, or that widget. That was actually a little harder than I thought to get rid of all those things. Um, and then I just realized I only wear like six shirts. Why do I have 40? <laughs> um, that was actually freeing.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so stuff like that. it It, it, it was a process.
0: How did that process continue into your travels? When you got on the road, was it an instantaneous sort of liberation or, or was there still kind of lamenting, giving up? How, how did that look?
1: Yeah, we got to Shanghai. Was, my son was off to college at the time and my daughter was going to be a senior. So she left all of her friends behind. Um, we all got to our place and we were just. In our rooms on our own, and just cried, going like, "What the heck did we do? Like, what are we doing in this foreign country? We don't know anything. We can't speak this language." It started to be overwhelming at first. To be honest, it took a while. I think, think in the international world, people who work in these schools, they say, you know, the three month mark is the the telltale if you're going to make it at all. If you can't make it, if you can make the month three, you're good. If you get to month three and you're still feeling those deep sense of like, what did I do? Why am I here? It's probably just not the life for you. It didn't take us quite that long, but when you're in a country like China, such a language barrier that other countries don't have, Um, like in Lisbon and Portugal, so many people speak English, it's not a barrier. But in China, that's not the case. You really have to start to learn the language if you're going to live there. So... Yeah, it it took us a while. It took us a while to realize, wow, and then realize what do we have here? Well, we have travel. We have these experiences, new food, new culture, um, new people, people from all over the world live in Shanghai. I think there's 300,000 expats. So it was like an interesting mix of people as well, besides being the largest city in the world of like 27 million people. Um, yeah, it's fascinating.
0: hmm the three the three month rule i mean you don't go for 3 weeks or 4 weeks and decide oh well this isn't for me right <laughs> you got to give yourself a little more time and i guess the idea is that you should be facing challenges and i find i'm asking you a lot of questions around leading up to that because i do find that transition to travel really a fascinating process because of all the things involved having to let go of your stuff and what that means emotionally and detaching from basically the entire framework of what you call your life and almost reinventing yourself in a way like not not really you're still you but now you're just you with just two suitcases and in a country where you don't speak the language and that's a different that's a different thing right
1: yeah for sure i mean even like well now we have to do laundry where do we do laundry? Oh, what, what do you mean do you only have washing machines? So you have to hang everything. That's different for Americans. Like there's, they're luxury to have a washing machine. And if you do, do you're mostly going to hang your clothes to dry. Um, like even in China, there's having a vacuum was a luxury. Like, oh, cool vacuums. Um, so I think just when you grow in appreciation and simple things, like I enjoyed moving to Europe. It's like having a coffee in the middle of the day was like this wonderful gift it takes really two minutes to enjoy. People come in for coffee, they drink it, they sip, they chat with each other, and then off they go. It's it's something I never experienced. Like, we think of coffee as Starbucks or like sit with a gallon of coffee to drink, as you do something else. And there, you're just enjoying a coffee for the sake of its purpose, which is to enjoy it. Um, yeah, it's just, and it's just, it's watching the world pass by in a different way, um, which is really a remarkable doesn't mean it's without its challenges which is like oh the internet only works when it wants to we were in dominican republic and i was doing a podcast you know using an ironing board as my table and you know internet doesn't always hold up in a little island um but that's just how it goes it makes you appreciate the fact that you know we could talk to people all over the world with this thing it's amazing
0: now have you grown to love this lifestyle have have you totally switched over where where are you at with it right now
1: yeah i i think i do i i I like seeing new places. I think our goal would be to have some time in the States because we have children and we have our parents that are a little older and then also have a few destinations in the world we go to. We'd love Portugal so that's why we're going back again this year for three months. Um, But then try another country for three months. So maybe it'll be maybe it'll be Colombia maybe it'll be Argentina or maybe we'll go back to New Zealand. New Zealand's really cool. I was like I could live here for three months. So I think it's longer stints like i don't think i could do 2 weeks at a time just with my business it takes a long time to get me moving forward and get set up um so but i think that 3 times a year be on the road like in different countries and then back in the states for 3 months probably works well for us
0: I want to ask you about the work travel thing before I let you go. And I should mention that Azul's Authors Writing Academy is part of the Paradise Pack this year, which is on sale from May 29th through June 4th, 2018. It's an incredible product that goes way deeper than we did today. And um, it's one of 20 plus expert products in this pack. And we'll leave a link to that. So I mean, thanks for being a part of that project, Azul. And I know you're passionate about... um, giving people the education that they need to live this lifestyle. And we're both just we do everything we can to share the realities of it, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And it sounds like you're having a great time with it. I'm curious as far as the work travel as an as a location independent entrepreneur, because at first you were like you said, that was a great stepping stone. I think it sounded like you had a good setup. You had a contract, a steady income, you were in one place, almost like a good transitional piece to being nomadic and then having the the world completely open. We're like, hey, maybe we'll fly to New Zealand. Maybe we'll go to Portugal. I don't know. Where are we gonna go next? And that's a that's a different thing. How has that been with running a business on the road? Because everybody handles that differently. Has that been a tough transition? And how how do you enjoy the work travel lifestyle?
1: Yeah, it was a transition time zone was my first transition because I just wasn't thinking about, oh, I'll schedule that call for eight AM Pacific time and I'm in, you know, Shanghai and that means I have to get up at 2 in the morning or whatever I had to think through things that I didn't think through before and keep a calendar like really think through my calendar before I go um, that's important <laughs> but what what I do like about it is my relationships are built over Skype or Zoom or on the phone I have clients I've been coaching for a couple of years that I've never seen them or met them um, and it's amazing how much joy I've gotten from that and how much value they've gotten out of that relationship so I just, it's about learning to, to appreciate people uh, in a new way. And then when I see them in person, it's like this incredible sense of joy. Like, like you're seeing somebody for the first time and that you've known them forever. So I think my work-life balance is I try to work four hours a day as a a nomad, that's really hard because you're constantly trying to make yourself better. You're too busy enjoying
0: coffees in the middle of the day, right?
1: (laughs) And try to plan three hours of, for me, activities, yoga, or learning to surf, or picking up a language. Um, So I think the the balance is sometimes I go to a co-working space and sometimes I just make home my workspace so I can save my time. Like, the 20 minutes walking or 20 minutes back is another hour or whatever, right? So, I just try to create a shorter workday so that I can enjoy this country I'm in um, or work in the evening. Like like it's not bad for us to spend the whole day out and then work from like four to 10 because we were just out all day enjoying the sun and it's still part of the workday in the US and Europe. So it's perfect for us. So I think it's just changing your expectations so that you can set up work. Um, as well as for me, I try to keep it as simple as possible. Like this this microphone that I'm knocking on goes with me wherever I go. Um, I, with that and my laptop, I'm pretty set.
0: And it's also great when you're doing work you love and that has meaning. And I know, Azul, you're uh, very passionate about helping people make their books a reality. And of course, if you go to coachazul.com, you should definitely hop into Azul's 30-day challenge at one point, or at least get on the waiting list for it. And as I mentioned before, he's part of the Paradise Pack this year. So man, I I just so appreciate your friendship. You're a wonderful man. I cannot wait to see you again. I hope that's happening at some point this year i don't know where in the world or how or or what (laughs) but we're going to make it happen and um i just appreciate you coming on and sharing all of your expert advice around this and and your what it's like to to live this work lifestyle and everything that you shared today i really truly appreciate it and thanks so much for your time and look forward to chatting again soon
1: thank you so much jason
0: enjoy portugal
1: i will (laughs) (laughs) cheers bye
0: Thank you Azul for stopping by the show and sharing your wisdom. You're an awesome guy. Really appreciate your time and love what you're doing. And it gets me pumped up to continue to work on the projects I'm working on right now. I also feel a lot better coming out of that having used some of those tactics to get better with my writing and make progress and all that stuff. What do you think my friend? Are you inspired to go write a book now or do something along those lines, let me know. You can get in touch with me anytime. Let me know what you thought of this show. And of course, if you just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from listeners. That's no secret. I talk about that in every show. This is a community-powered show, and I love to hear from listeners. And I want to give a shout-out to one right now. Julia, you are awesome. She wrote me a long email. I can't read the whole thing, but I'll just summarize it for you. She's 16 years old, a sophomore in high school from California. She said, I've grown up being an adventure backpacker, and traveler. And the second month of my sophomore year in high school, me and my best friend started planning a service trip to Dharmasala, India at school. Our school had only been open for two years. We were pioneering a travel program at our school, even if we didn't know it yet. There were a bunch of ups and downs trying to make this trip happen. But ultimately, it was the most transformational experience. took us a year and a half to make it happen. And they ended up starting a GoFundMe and raised $40,000. And 14 students and two teachers went on this trip. And they worked in a small community in northern India to help build bathrooms for women so they could have privacy, so they didn't get assaulted when they tried to go to the bathroom out in the fields. And they stayed with local families and had so many good things to say about the trip and the experience. And she finished up just by asking the question, do you think experience-based learning is important? And is this something you could talk about on the podcast? And in her opinion, she said, quote, it should be a part of everyone's education and youth because there is only so much you can learn in a classroom. I just loved getting this email. Congratulations, Julia. So many things here. 16 years old, taking the initiative to organize a program like that for your school, that's not only going to give you that experience, but also other people and being able to go on a trip like that and share that with other people and transform them and creating a GoFundMe and raising all this money and all of the work that it takes to put something like that together, making that happen for yourself, for others in your community, for the people in the community that you helped out in India and impacting their lives in a positive way. I just want to give you a huge shout out and say congratulations for making that happened, giving people a chance to be transformed by travel I have so much admiration for you and you have inspired me this email has truly inspired me and I thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing this and I want to share this with the community so you could feel inspired and, and maybe there's an idea you've been kicking around whether it's a personal travel thing or something like this or anything that serves the world in some way or serves your community or serves yourself, for that matter. And these are important things to think about. And I wanted to share that with you. So you could stew on that a little bit today. It's a really beautiful thing, what she's done. And thanks for sharing, Julia. And if anybody else wants to get in touch, again, please, uh, please reach out. And her subject heading, by the way, The Importance of Experience-Based Learning, I should address that. Yes, I 100% agree. Of course, the learning that takes place outside of the classroom and in the world... is... (laughs) There's a vast difference between those two. And it's a totally different thing reading about, for example, the Roman Colosseum and standing in front of it and breathing the air and looking at the old stones and touching them and having an experiential experience with that particular icon or the people of that place. It's just... You know. If you're a traveler, you know. You can't replicate that in a classroom or watching it on TV or looking at magazines. Nothing beats the real thing. So 100% agree with you there. Thank you once again. Now let's get into some of these book recommendations. I know I said to Azul, hey, we're going to get some of your book recommendations. And then I forgot to do it at the end of the interview. So I emailed him and I said, what are your three book recommendations? And... Here's what he said. The first was one of my favorites, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, which I'm trying to read in Norwegian now. I preface that with the idea that I'm reading about a page every two weeks. (laughs) I've been really lazy with it, but I do have that in Norwegian. And that's one of my favorite books of all time if you haven't read The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. It's a great one. Will It Fly by Pat Flynn, for those of you that are looking to do the whole location-independent thing. That's a great online business book about... Figuring out how to test your idea, essentially, and see if it will work. And the other one I haven't read, Where the Red Fern Grows by Wilson Rawls. And Azul said that's one of his childhood favorites. I am going to share two book recommendations with you in just a moment. One I'm reading right now that I'm really enjoying. I'm halfway through. And the other one is a very hilarious travel book I read a long time ago but I, I do need to reread it and I'll share that with you in just a second. First, two quick things. Thanks to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. Don't forget, you can get 10% off any of the Tortuga backpacks or accessories if you go to zero2travel zerototravel.com slash Tortuga and enter the promo code TRAVEL when you check out. And these are the backpacks I use to travel the world, particularly the Tortuga Outbreaker and the Setout, which is the new day pack. When you get your hands on the bag, you're going to know you made the right choice. They used sailcloth to create the bag. So they're totally unique and waterproof. And the zippers, you can tell a good bag by a zipper, right? As soon as you touch the zipper. Because if the zipper goes on a bag, you're screwed. But I've never had any issues with any of the Tortuga bags and the zippers. They work. They don't get stuck. Uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to all the features that I love about these bags. So no need to waste your time giving you 10% off, or Fred is, I should say, from Tortuga, with that promo code TRAVEL. And if you're on the hunt for a new backpack or you got a long trip coming up or you're doing some gift shopping, whatever, check their stuff out. Zero2Travel.com slash Tortuga. 10% off with the promo code TRAVEL. Thanks to Fred and the gang over at Tortuga Backpacks for extending that discount to the Zero to Travel caravan here. Thank you so much. And oh yeah, we got to answer the question at the top of the show too. Getting to that in a second, a quick reminder about the Paradise Pack. I don't want you to miss this. It's May 29th through June 4th, 2018. And at the time of this recording, I'm not sure when you're listening to this, but at the time this comes out, it's the first day of the Paradise Pack. This only happens once a year. We essentially get 20 different expert educational products to help you go location independent and travel the world so you can live, work and travel anywhere. You get all the skills you need to make that whole location free lifestyle happen so you can work from your laptop from anywhere and it seems like a pipe dream and you know for people that maybe aren't doing it and you see the pictures on Instagram and you think oh this is you have to be some special person to do this. You don't. You just need to put the time and get an education just like anything else and instead of spending thousands of dollars to get that education and by the way, how do you even know what you need to learn and where to start? We decided to put together this bundle called the Paradise Pack. If you go to zero2travel zerototravel.com slash paradise, it'll take you to that page. And you can learn more about it. And it's over 90% off 20 professional educational products that can help you live, work, and travel anywhere. It's an awesome thing. And it's everything I wish I had when I first started out trying to do this whole location independent thing so I could travel around and live that lifestyle. I was able to date my wife and go back and forth to Norway and travel all over the US. And we met up in Southeast Asia. And I was able to do all these things because I earn a living. And actually, there are so many benefits to this because there were other hidden benefits I didn't even know about outside of not having to wake up to an alarm clock and not having a boss and all the obvious things. But I need to make a certain level of income here in Norway to... Get permanent residency and because i had my own business i was able to just set up a business here and keep it rolling and that hasn't been a problem for me i'm very very fortunate and i get to spend more time with family and friends and all this stuff it's not an easy thing to do but with the right education you can make it happen may 29th through june 4th the paradise pack is the name of the product if you go to zero to com slash paradise it'll take you right to the page and as a reminder on may 29th if you are listening to this that day we have this live stream event. It's free. We have 12 experts from the Paradise Pack coming on to talk all about location independence and travel and share all of their hard-earned tips and stories. And it's just such a blast. So I hope you can make it to that. would love to see you there. And you can chat with people from around the world. It's a really awesome event. Thanks so much for uh, for listening to that. And anybody that ends up getting that, by the way, 10% of your purchase goes to charities. So you can feel great about that as well. Check it out. I'll leave the link in the show notes. Let me answer this question before I give those two book recommendations. The question at the top, how can we merge the wisdom we acquired during our travels with the present moment each and every day? And I came up with this question from the quote I was going to share with you from the book I'm reading that I want to recommend to you right now. And that's a Shambhala book. It's The Sacred Path of the Warrior by Chogyam Trunpa. I don't know if I pronounced that name correctly. That's that's what I say almost every time I try to pronounce some name like this, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced it, but Yam Trumpa, my mom gave me this book when I was visiting her back in the States a little while back, and I love it, and I've got the little pocket guide. It's a pocket classic, and I will read you a quote from this book now. We need to find the link between our traditions and our present experience of life. Nowness, or the magic of the present moment, is what joins the wisdom of the past with the present. That's the quote. And this got me thinking about how this relates to travel and that whole idea of bringing the wisdom and the experience from your travels back home with you. And how do you incorporate that? And certainly just living in the present moment is is a way to do that. But how do you bring those reflections into the present moment and live and breathe those core values that you learn as a traveler, the things that stay with you forever, I will share what that is for me. I can't really answer this question for everybody, but I can share a couple quick thoughts. The one thing that I always like to remember that particularly I've learned from my travels, just from interacting with so many different people from around the world, is that overall people are good. And we want the same things no matter what the culture, You know, love, a safe place to be with our family, a good standard of living where everybody can get the basic necessities, and that the world is a friendly place. And that is something I've always tried to bring into my present moment and the wisdom I've gathered around that from travels. And really, if I could sum up in one word, it's just the gratitude piece. You know, every day I try to be grateful for the just the basic things I have. Running water, food on my plate, a roof over my head, the ability to go get food if I need it, get clothes if I need them. Um... Blessed and fortunate, and I—I I am reminded of this. I try to remind myself of this every day. And thinking back on my travels, that wisdom, that peace, is what I try to bring into the present moment of where I'm at, at each and every morning. Because it's a great way to start out the day to remember, hey, I've got these things. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not a—I'm not living on a dirt floor, and I'm not struggling to get food. And I can feed my kid. I can feed myself. It's, uh, it's easy to overlook those things sometimes when we are so busy with our lives and everything like that. So that's the wisdom that I try to bring into the present moment. I don't know. What, what wisdom do you bring to the present moment each day? What travel wisdom do you bring with you? Or what do you try to bring with you? Let me know. Send me an email. We can share some things, share some comments here on the show. Thanks for listening to that. And uh, one last thing, this book, that that was the one book I recommended. The other book, I haven't read it in a long time, but it's a hilarious book called The Sex Lives of Cannibals by uh, Martin Troost. I, again, don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I think he's a Dutch guy. Uh, Martin, M-A-A-R-T-E-N, and then last name T-R-O-O-S-T, The Sex Lives of Cannibals, was a hilarious book I read back in the day. So if you're into travel books and you're looking for a funny travel book, check that one out. It was... It was a joy to read. I think I'm going to reread it now that I am bringing that up. Okay, my friend, we are at the end of the road today, the end of the episode, which makes me a little sad. It's hard to part ways with you, but I so appreciate your time, you hanging out with me here today, all the stuff going on. You're here at the Zero to Travel podcast, part of this beautiful caravan of lovely travel lovers, travel-obsessed souls who are just incredible people the more I interact with all of you via email and Twitter and crossing paths in real life. And every person I've had the joy of interacting with through this podcast is so unique and amazing in their own way. So I thank you for being who you are. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate you. And I look forward to chatting with you during the next episode. Next month, I should tease this out, next month, because we've been doing all of Location Independence Month, this month to celebrate the launch of the Paradise Pack. Next month, we're going to do travel jobs. Travel jobs is the theme. And again, if you're not looking for a travel job, that's okay. There are going to be plenty of other tips around travel that you can learn. And I always like to keep my options open when it comes to travel. I want to know, okay, hey, I'm doing the location-independent thing now. Who knows? Maybe I'll want to do some seasonal work or take some travel jobs later on in life. Because why not? And... It's a new experience. I'd just love to have different experiences and to experience travel in different ways. And I wanted to do a couple theme months with you. And that's what's coming up next month, travel jobs. So I hope you haven't been enjoying Location Independence Freedom Month here. And next month, travel jobs. And we have a lot of exciting stuff coming for you there. So I'm gonna let you go now. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day.
1: See you next time. Cheers.